Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. This month, I'm exploring some films from uh, Bong Joon-ho, and joining me to discuss, truly an honor, he is a writer-director responsible for such films as Mulberry Street, Stakeland, and his uh, latest film, In the Shadow of the Moon, has just come out on Netflix as of September 27th. It is Jim Mickle. Jim, thank you so much for joining me on I Do Movies Badly. You got it. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, before we kind of get into the topic at hand, I do want to... I do want to talk about you for a little bit first, and I'm sure I don't have to convince you to talk about yourself that much. Um, Be so, surprised. I mean, I've had a, <laughs> I've had a, a few filmmakers on this uh, on this program. You were the first uh, feature filmmaker to kind of come on, though. So, I guess i I want to talk a little bit first about kind of uh, your journey into uh, filmmaking, and I guess mm-hmm. just. A lot of us, especially film critics, are kind of like, you know, we, we, we wish we could be that person. We have the impulse, but we never kind of really act on it. So what was it for you? What was the first thing where, not just like, I want to make movies, but then you're like, the thing that was sort of, I am going to make a movie, and this is what I'm going to do to get this movie made. Mm, yeah. Um, the, the first, like... The first really being um, interested in it, I think I was I was 13 years old and I saw um, Army of Darkness, um, oh. and <laughs> I I had no idea that it was even uh, a part of a trilogy. Uh, it, it just kind of watched it on its own VHS, and um, I just fell madly in love with it right off the bat. And and I was very interested in horror and special effects and uh, puppetry and creating creatures and stuff like that. And so I was into watching a lot of horror movies because of that. And and that was the first movie where it really struck me um, like, oh, my God, this is this there's this is designed. You know, there's somebody that's pulling the strings on all this and sort of guiding you know, music and camera movement and and performance and how it looks and all that. Like that was the first time that it really clicked like, Oh, this is a thing that you could, you could do. Um, And I was kind of obsessed from there really. And spent a lot of time making backyard movies and that sort of thing um, (laughs) all, you know, through uh, teen years. Um, And um, my parents split up and my dad wound up, um, remarrying a um uh screenwriting professor from Ithaca College and um (laughs) and it was right when I was starting to look at colleges and and she really encouraged me and my sister who's a production designer now for a lot of very big movies and uh she encouraged both of us like you know this isn't just something that you could be interested in this is something you could you could do so I went to film school I ended up going to NYU and um made student films there and um learned and grew and all that and then 
I got out of school and then it took me a couple of years um, of just working a lot on, on everything I could sort of work on. I, I did a lot of um, PAing and working in art department and um, was doing some editing. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, working on set as a grip, sort of in the lighting department. So kind of every odd job possible for a couple of years. And then finally, I think around... Oh five, I finally um, myself and my longtime writing partner and partner Nick Dimitri, um mm-hmm. made the wrote he wrote this movie Mulberry Street and we you know we I I had hit a point where I was sort of tired of working on stuff that wasn't some mine and he was you know he was an actor that had had a couple close calls that didn't quite land and and we were both sort of just at a fed up point and um so we kind of made this little pact like let's you know whatever little money we can raise we're gonna shoot something mm-hmm. and we're gonna start on this day and we mm-hmm. just started telling people that and 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 it happened and that was our that was our first feature and it wound up um it wound up doing really well played a lot of festivals and and was kind of the the beginning of things and kicked things off for us and and that was a peek behind the curtain. My my first uh, exposure to you, at least as, as a filmmaker. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, but I certainly I met Jim years and years ago because I was a, a script reader for the company that was producing uh, Mulberry Street, which is hilarious to think of now that I'm a 35 year old who has not written a feature length screenplay, and yet they trusted me to read screenplays. Um, but uh, and and yeah, it was uh, it played at the the After Dark Film Festival. It was a, the ten you know ten films to die for. Yeah. I, I believe it was called. It was yeah. a, a wonderful little thing. Um, and listeners, if you if you've uh, if the name Nick Dimitri sounds familiar to you, he was uh, also the star of, of Stakeland. That mm-hmm. was a vampire film that came out in two thousand ten. Um, and, and and your your resume is very much it's it's pretty much genre from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is it about? Genre, I guess you can talk about horror specifically, but just genre films in general, which kind of draws you to wanting to tell those kind of stories versus just, uh, you know, uh, human interest pieces or, or, yeah. or just kind of like a hum- human drama, basically. Um, I, I It's just taste, I guess. You know, I think I, I'm always, I'm, I'm much more interested in stuff that sort of hits you strongly and sticks with you. And, and, and I think obviously genre and particularly horror, I think really has such a big emotional impact and a very visceral impact, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, I think part of it is like, you know, what, what got me into making movies to begin with is like the sense of play and building a world and the sense of make believe and kind of high stakes make believe. I think that's always, that's always a part of it. And then part of it is always like the sort of the fanboy that it's always, you know, those are the movies that I, really grew up on and loved and mm-hmm. wanted to understand how they worked on me, why they worked on me, why they scared me. And so it's, it's always, a, it's a little bit instinct more than anything, really. Um, just wanting <laughs> to turn around and sort of do that as well. Um, but we did, you know, we did do um, cold in July, then started to drip a little, a little bit more into thriller um, territory and kind of noir um, and had doses of, comedy in it and then um and then that kind of segued into happen leonard or tv show that was like it was noir but it was also a lot of comedy it was a lot more comedy and so it wound up being a sort of it was a departure from horror and it was it was true that you know people say like the hardest things to do are horror and comedy and it was like definitely um definitely a lesson of both ends of that you know um Mm-hmm. So um yeah so 
and then in the shadow of the moon is a, is a little bit of all that stuff kind of thrown together. So it's uh, it's still dark. It's not quite horror, but it's still uh, still quite dark. And, and then with the we are what we are in in 2013. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a remake of, of a film that had existed b- mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what was the because that was the first one I think that w- that you did that wasn't strictly original. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were adapting someone else's work. Yeah. What were some of the the challenges or, or things that you kind of had to consider doing that versus just kind of an idea that came into your head that you could see from beginning to end? Well, we had been, uh, after Mulberry Street, we optioned the book for Cold in July. I want to say that was like 2006, I think. Um, thinking like, oh, this will be the next thing that we make. <laughs> and it was <laughs> yeah. tough because it wasn't straight horror and it was very execution dependent and it was kind of a tonally very dependent thing. And, um, and so, you know, uh, we struggled trying to push that thing up the hill for a long time. And then Stakeland kind of happened a little bit, the same thing as Mulberry Street, a little bit out of just being fed up with, like, not being able to sort of control your own destiny somehow. And and um, and then We Are, We Are was kind of getting back to that same point, to be honest. It was kind of like, man, what do we have to do? You know, we made we made a movie that, you know, with no money at all that went on to do really well and then sort of no one gave us a shot and then three years later we make another movie and then that goes on to win audience awards and also (laughs) do really well and then here we are it's like another three years later and it's like back to the day job and we're still sort of not getting that shot and then (laughs) the guys who are trying to or some of our partners um memento a, a company from a french company that was uh wanted to do um help us produce cold in july they wound up getting the rights to we are we are and they sort of called at some point and said you know hey while we're still trying to make this film you know do you guys have any interest in this and we're trying to crack it and, and um and that that i think was really exciting just because of that because it was something different and and um I hadn't even seen the movie at that point, but I remember when it came out and I remember kind of being envious of, <laughs> uh, of that concept of this idea of, you know, a film that um, was dealing with these really intense sort of interpersonal character sort of family dramas, but then had the this sort of backdrop of cannibalism sort of floating in the background. So <laughs> audiences constantly know that there's something else there, but it gives you sort of this big playground to play with these other these other emotional things. And so that was actually fun then to just say like, okay, this is not an original thing. How do we, how do we take this and, and obviously be reverential to what is so great about the original and what makes it so personal to that filmmaker. And and how do we sort of turn some of those elements around to, to our world and sort of play with it there. So it's not really a remake, but it's almost like a call and response or like an acoustic cover or something of Hmm. a, of a song or, so that was really the exercise there, which was really super, super fun. And then with, with your latest one, uh, In the Shadow of the Moon, um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it's got a theatrical release, but it's also going to be uh, on Netflix as well. And I know mm-hmm. this is kind of a, for lack of a better term, let's say it's a hot button issue, because a lot of filmmakers mm-hmm. uh, are doing that. I mean, we have Scorsese is, is putting out The Irishman on Netflix later this year. You had Coron uh, with Roma last year, and there's kind of it's it's kind of divisive in the sense of a lot of people are like well this is great because now i mean my i i bought my my elderly parents a roku for christmas last year and they watched mm-hmm. roma because of it was on yeah. netflix but uh but you have older filmmakers who are kind of thinking like this this is almost kind of spoiling the purity of cinema and yeah I, i'm wondering as someone who is a who's an independent filmmaker who is 
you know, certainly not a not making Spielberg money. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a what is the 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 Netflix what has Netflix done for you? Do you kind of see it as like oh, you know it's 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 got its blessings and its curses, mm-hmm. or is this like you are psyched that it's like no, this can get out to as many people as as has a Netflix subscription. Uh, that's right. I'd say like I'm like eighty percent psyched and like twenty percent you know held back. You know, <laughs> uh, you know. But the reality was you know I made I made four movies. Um, mm-hmm. All of them wind, wound up having very small releases independent releases um ifc films released two of them and i thought did an underwhelming job and was disappointed in in how they were how they got out there and how they were not able to find an audience i think they did as time went on they all sort of were discovered on on netflix and stuff like that or on tv but you know it wasn't i was always really like god you you know you, you kill yourself to make these things and then like you know, it doesn't really get the push it needs to get out into theater. And it's hard to open, and it's harder and harder to open movies theatrically um, that don't have, um, you know, a franchise attached to it or, or don't have that sort of viral, like, oh, my God, you have to go see this movie in the theater, which has gotten the window for that every year. has just It was small then, and it's only gotten progressively and accelerating small <laughs> yeah. since then. Um, and then, you know, and then part of that was like, you know, I think the middle ground of movies, like the middle class of movies, those like <laughs> mid tier movies that are somewhere between the, the $1 million indie and the $1,000 million, um, you know, Marvel <laughs> thing is like that whole lane in the middle, I think has been just wiped out. And, and so, and, and what was fun was then it seemed like, well, that's kind of moving into television because you're sort of able to tell these more grounded stories and, and. Um, these kind of more, you know, middle tier things. And, and that was part of the interest, I think, when when um, Happen Leonard came along to try to do um, a show that really gave us some time and some breadth to step back and sort of tell a story the way that we wanted to tell it. Um, the sad part there was it wound up on Sundance TV, which is almost like the independent film version of television. <laughs> and yeah. so the same thing kind of happened where, you know, we were, you know, we ran for three seasons and by the end we were sort of celebrated as like the best show you're, no one's heard of there, but no one watches. <laughs> um, and it was a little bit just like, well, what do you have to do? You know, like uh-huh. um, the quality isn't enough. And so, you know, when the option came up to make something with Netflix, you know, I think I hesitated at first because of all the reasons you say, like, you know, as a filmmaker, you want to, you want to know that you have a shot to go like have an opening weekend and have, mm-hmm have a film in theaters and get that kind of that kind of scope I guess to the release um and as I sort of got closer to it a lot of very smart people kind of rightly so said like there's nothing worse than trying to open a film now if you're not a Star Wars or a or a you know <laughs> Deadpool or you know you don't yeah. want to be that thing now um and and then you meet with Netflix and they show you kind of how they're able to I mean it's creepy how much they're able to find an audience and <laughs> and and a big audience um, and it kind of felt like well man you know instead of instead of sort of being upset that you know um, you make something and the distributor um, doesn't really have a big audience or can't find an audience like here you can sort of make something with these guys and they gave us you know more money and resources than anybody mm-hmm. else would have given us to make the film and yeah. we're also less much less intrusive than anybody else would have been um, <laughs> and we're sort of happy to let us make this this um, this middle ground movie without trying to push it down or pump it up and um, 
and their audience, I think, will be massive. It's really exciting. I just got an email right before this of like all the different like key art that they use to sort of you know get it to audiences, and it's just like, yeah, this is great. This is this is gonna this more people will see this movie than saw everything else I've done combined times a lot. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I kind of just take it as like the industry is just changing as does everything. The music industry changes, you know, journalism changes and, mm-hmm. and, and like those industries, you know, I think we have to adapt if we want to stay in it. Sure. Well, and I, I can certainly say that it's it's on uh, my must-see list and I, I can assure you that uh, uh, I'm not the only one that I know that is, is uh, uh, considering that as well. So um, we, we got a lot, a, a lot to get through, but I just have one more question for you. So yeah. Uh, if you're given, if you were given one hundred million dollars to make whatever movie you want, do you do you go the, the Marvel movie route, or, or what do you want to make, or are you kind of like, nah, that comes with too many strings attached. I'll stick with my uh, my low budget indies. Thanks. Um, I don't. You know, I wish I like understood the Marvel movies, and I have to be honest that I don't. <laughs> like, I keep trying to watch them, and I'm just uh-huh. like, "Oh my god, is this for real?" Or this is this is what passes for entertainment. I just cannot <laughs> get it, and it frustrates the shit out of me because you know, obviously, people like them, and and at some point it'd be nice. And you know, I I know a lot of people that work on them, and they're obviously mm. you know great, but I just cannot understand them like I, I i can't understand the charm of them so i would say no unfortunately it would not be that it would be something that's more original i actually really like um um vertigo and image like those actually oh, are okay. comic books that i i actually can get really into you know i've right. talked about some of that kind of stuff over mm-hmm. over time but i think it would want to i'd want to do something that was a little different or sort of outside those boxes i guess i get it well i think with i think with that attitude i'd actually be fascinated to see you make a marvel movie because um, <laughs> I'd have to imagine Taika Waititi was thinking somewhat the same thing when he got yeah. Thor, Thor Ragnarok. So, and we, yeah, we see, true. We see how that turned out. But um, yeah. turning to the the matter at hand, which is of course uh, yeah. South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon Ho. Um, yeah. What I guess first thing that you saw of him, and what was it that just kind of struck you about, like, oh my God, this is a this is a director I have to pay attention to. Yeah. Um. So. What year was that? 2004, 2005? I'm not, I can't remember the exact year, but um, I went to see with my partner, Linda, um, we went to see Memories of Murder um, at a, um, I think it was a Korean film festival in New York. um, Mm -hmm. And we had just started dating. We worked together. She produces my stuff Mm -hmm. as well. And we, um, we, we were going to see movies. We were just starting to kind of get to know each other and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember we went to see um, Memories of Murder at this film festival, and it was just, I mean, I just was completely blown away by it. And she was just <laughs> completely blown away by it. And it was kind of a bonding thing between the two of us. But it was also, I realized, a kind of a, a bit of a sort of a, a birth, I think, of my interest in that type of filmmaking and that style and that whole region, really. Mm. Um, and that, you know, I continue to go back to that movie often and, and, um, really just fall in love with it all over again every time. And, and I was, I was glad that you suggested Bong Joon-ho because I, the only two films that I've seen from him and I, Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe if I remember correctly, these are not two that you're going to recommend. Well, I guess I Mm -hmm. I should say two and a third because the Mm -hmm. first one was the host because when when that came out, you could not escape 
buzz from that movie. Yeah, I actually was going to mention that. I was, there's another one I was going to mention too, but that that one I kind of went back and forth. But yes, the host. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. And and uh, and and I got to say, I, I feel a bit bad about this, but I I mm-hmm. came out being like, okay, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess. And it was, I think it was just like I, I was a young kid just out of like college, and so like the way that he. Mm-hmm mixed mixes and plays with tones i just wasn't yeah. familiar with it and just like i didn't know how to feel about it like i was i want to yeah. laugh but then i'll feel really bad um, yeah yeah and then uh, and then uh the same thing in, in 2013 snowpiercer was you couldn't yes. escape hype for that movie either yes yeah that's actually my least favorite of his movies oh really oddly enough. yeah and weirdly enough we um um when that premiered um uh, we were premiering um uh, we are, we are, mm-hmm. I think, or cold in July at uh, the Deauville Film Festival, and he was there, and we had, um, we got to have dinner with him before um, oh, Snowpiercer man. premiered there, mm-hmm. and then sat behind him for the premiere of that, and I was just <laughs> like, I mean, he's like my, he was just my idol, and I'm like, oh yes, got to see that, and I, I, I enjoyed Snowpiercer, but it just speaks to how much I like his other movies that that was sort of registered okay. the least for me, I guess. Okay, um, and and then there there was also a I, I I saw Tokyo, but he that's an anthology film, and so obviously mm-hmm. he's he's got a yeah. piece in it, and I and I have mm-hmm. to say, I don't fully remember him. I, I mean, I I was I remember being very I don't excited think I about saw that. Actually, it, it, it's yeah. I don't know, it, it's an anthology film, so it's gonna be there's gonna be parts which are stronger than yeah. others. Um, I just remember being really excited about the Michel Gondry one because it had a uh, a, uh-huh. a woman slowly turning into a chair. <laughs> which um, sounds very much like yeah, that's, that's that's his uh that's his kind of, and then i i remember i was because i was uh at that point i was working a job where i uh similar to how i interviewed you and, and nick uh that that was my mm-hmm. first interview ever um uh-huh. uh i interviewed um michelle gondry and leos carax uh, oh wow. and uh leos carax says three words for every answer so it was just uh, i couldn't tell if he didn't like me or if that's just how he was i think it it turned out that's just how he was but um Uh, so i I guess what what is it about um bong joon ho as a as a as a director and you don't even have to talk about specific traits but i just Uh um i I mean he is when when you mention his name like he's you know people consider him an auteur like when a movie comes out from him even okja which was also like a netflix exclusive release people are excited about it because he's a name that they know and because they can expect certain things from him so what do you what do you like look for or what do you expect when you see a bong joon ho film it's like okay i know i'm gonna get x y and z out of it um uh, a lot of things you know i think all of his movies and and i i hope to um have this quality um in some form is like it's only a movie that only he could make i think that's (laughs) that's rarer and rarer now and that's one of the things about the netflix and these kind of companies and how much content gets made now i think everything starts to get a little bit homogenous and a little bit Mm. samey samey and and um i sort of love that his things always just have this their own personality and his personality Mm -hmm. um and there's a playfulness to him that i think is great um there's a heart without being too um, schmaltzy or uh, overly sentimental, you know, like he's he's got a huge heart, I think, to his stuff that you've seen, especially in a film like Okja. But um, but he's also, I think, clever enough to not 
uh, overplay that. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, South Korean filmmakers, I think, who are just like brutal and sort of nihilistic, you know, in a way, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I think he winds up capturing a little bit of like the best of Spielberg in a way. Mm. Um, but I think it's, I, to, the biggest thing I think to me is that mix of tones that you mentioned mm. earlier, like that to me was something that um, I remember just seeing and just going like, wow, like here's, like, I just love the way that he's able to mix at times like slapstick comedy with something really brutal, you know, and, so, <laughs> and, and, you know, really dark themes with violence. But then it also has like these really sweet, very tender character moments and like, and they're always very entertaining. They're always um, very funny, you know. So I, I just remember thinking like, wow, this is something that we don't really do in America. Like we sort of pick a lane and stay in that lane and and somehow he's sort of able to play in five lanes um and jump (laughs) around a lot and Mm -hmm. and i think that also speaks a little bit to the kind of south korean filmmaking i think there's always a little bit of um they just play by sort of different rules that i find really refreshing and and have wished that we see a little bit more of in in u.s filmmaking and and um hopefully there's even elements of that in in the shadow of the moon which i think is a little bit of an indefinable beast but has a little bit of all those things (laughs) um and is he do you know is he uh is he a guy that like grew up with or was influenced by american films at all or, or is he kind of um removed from that I think he was, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know a ton about him personally, but I think so. I, I, I get the sense that, you know, he did grow up on, on, on a diet of, you know, Hollywood films, but, you know, obviously has then sort of filtered it through his own, you know, his mm-hmm. own special lens. And, and when it comes back out, I think it looks somewhat like the host looks and feels, you know, like an American monster movie, yet it also has mm-hmm. all this other stuff going on in it. Um, so, yeah, I also like, you know, he really, and I'm really excited, you know, cause obviously his, his new one, Parasite, which I've not seen, and I think opens oh. this month, opens in October. Is, I, yeah, um, I think so. Won the Palm Door, And I know that's also deals with heavy social stuff. And I think that's also something I really dig about him. Like even the host obviously had these like environmental sort of social Mm -hmm. themes going on. And Okja had the, you know, sort of factory farming thing, like all these things that are like not sexy things to talk about, but (laughs) he finds a way to, to embed them into these stories in a way that is super, super cool. I think. Yeah, and and I I'm, I guess I, nowadays I'm, I'm, well, I should nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm, eager and looking forward to that because I, I've dipped my toe in, in the South Korean filmmaker's water a, a mm-hmm. little bit before on this podcast, but specifically it was the, like the South Korean revenge film genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, I saw the devil. Um, yeah. I think be Which devil. Is brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great, but it is yeah, a lot. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, uh, sympathy for lady vengeance, I think was the, the last yeah. one I did. So, and it's, um, yeah. so, so it's, they're great films and there's talent behind them, but it's also kind of yeah. like, I need, I need something a little bit more to to just not feel entirely hopeless and nihilistic about the yeah. world, basically. You should check out, um, although it's a little bit that The Chaser. Do you know that film? No, I haven't heard of that one. That's awesome. The Chaser is is freaking awesome. And then um, he also made Hong Jin Na, and he also made a movie called The Yellow Sea right after that. That's also awesome. And then he made The Wailing, which came out a couple years ago. Which, oh, okay, that I saw. Yeah, that was amazing. 
Yeah, I th- that was another one where I I went in so pumped for that because like the Chaser and Yellow Sea are like two of my like favorites of the last like ten years. And when I went in to see the Wailing, I think I maybe expected too much, and I I only <laughs> liked it and didn't like you know didn't mm. fall passionately in love with it, which I was really bummed about because I I so wanted to. But check out the Chaser. That movie is just so awesome. <laughs> it is so cool, and it's a little bit of that same thing. You know, it's the same. Um, you know, uh, it's not really revenge thriller, but but it's also it's just got that mix of tones and and um, and then Yellow Sea is just really you know kind of heavy, heavy good crime, really unexpected, really cool filmmaking. Um, I just love that stuff. Okay. I went, you know, my I sort I, I went. Uh, let's see, I did um, I did more really did Stay Clean, and then I went to um, P Fan, this festival that's actually in South Korea, and I. Mm-hmm. When I, I had traveled from another festival with Stakeland to that one and I got there and I was just completely, I forget where I just was before, but I had been in another country before and I got there and my time zone was so confusing. Uh, <laughs> I was by myself. I flew in. I had not prepared at all to be like in an Asian country. It was my first time in an Asian country. Like I had no, you get there and it's like Blade Runner. Like you can't read a sign. It's just <laughs> so disorienting. Mm-hmm. I was so out of it and I sort of got there and most film festivals will be like very um, hospitable and sort of like pick you up and, you know, take you and all that. And I got to the airport, or I got to the hotel and like nobody could even tell me like where the festival was. <laughs> like no one could tell me. I couldn't even really figure it out. Like my phone didn't work. So I couldn't even figure out really what day it was or like oh. when my film was showing. Like it was the <laughs> weirdest thing ever. And I walked around for a couple of days and really could not find anybody that I could really communicate with or like, you know, connect with. And but they had this at underneath the movie theater where they were showing stuff. They had this vault of like all the movies that had shown there and all the movies that were shown at that year. And they were all on DVD and you could just go into this library and like pick them out. And I was like, they're completely like off my time zone. And I just went through and picked up like re-picked up the chaser. Yellow Seed was just playing at the festival that year. Um, and they had a screener of it. I put that on. I just and I just kind of went through this whole like uh, diet of them in, in a couple of days where I just really didn't know what else to do with my time there. <laughs> and I sort of just fell like madly, madly, madly in love with it. And I remember coming out of there and I was so frustrated because we couldn't make Cold in July. I was like so frustrated. And I kind of came out and I remember feeling like I, I sort of like had my mojo back from this moment. So it was like that. I also have a sort of a fondness because of that experience. <laughs> um, when it comes to, it's, it's funny because I'm thinking back now on, um, when you're when you're talking about how he kind of how Bong Joon Ho kind of makes these films that no one else can really make, and and even mm-hmm. and then uh, your experience with working with Netflix and how the landscape is changing, and mm-hmm. Okja came out in 2017. It was a uh, mm-hmm. it was a straight to net a Netflix thing one, but it was also if I remember correctly, it's not entirely in English, but there are English parts in Okja. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. So because I'm just I'm just kind of wondering like um what your thoughts might be on, because we've seen like, you know, uh, revered foreign filmmakers that kind of come to yes. America and make their, fir- I mean, Juan Car Wai did it, uh, uh, John yeah. Woo did it, and like their American output is sort of like, oh, yes, okay, there's something lost here, but it seems like that wasn't it the was case with him flat. because of, of, of what Netflix and just this kind of yeah. streaming platform can offer. Yeah, I mean, I think Snowpiercer would probably 
be that movie for him because that one was fully or mostly American, I think, or, or English. Yeah, I, think, I, I, yeah you know? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was probably like a good way to sort of step into it. And maybe because that wasn't really for like a Hollywood system, you know, it was for Miramax, but I think it was produced independently and mm-hmm. and all that. So that may have helped. I know he also had. Um, uh, English writer, you know, U.S. writers sort of collaborate on the scripts with them, you know. Right, so right. I think mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't just like kind of putting it into Google Translate and trying to figure <laughs> right. it out. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I don't really know the answer. You know, I know some people that worked with like Kim Ji Woon, who, who did um, uh, I Saw the Devil, who's another filmmaker I, I yes. love, and mm-hmm. and um, The Last Stand, you know, with Schwarzenegger is like not the most oh, exciting I forgot, movie. I forgot you know? that was one that mean it, yeah. Yeah, that was like not the most exciting thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They, I think there's a, you know, they make films a little differently. I know uh, I've been told that a lot of times they'll have editors on set who actually edit with them as they go. Like I know Park Chan Wook does that. Like uh, yeah. I think a, a lot of these guys do it where they literally just have an editor and they'll shoot a shot and they'll put it into the sequence like on set and sort of see like what. All right, does that work? Does this? does this flow? Do we need another shot? Do we go from here to here? You know, which I think is a fascinating way to work. And I think if you did work that way and then all of a sudden switched to an American style, I imagine you'd be, feel a little bit discombobulated. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the translation was that, that went through um, with all that. And, and Okja, I, I think was another one where I, I, um, we went to a screening of that in the city kind of a little bit before it came out. And it just, again, just completely bowled over and sort of, re-jazzed me for filmmaking i i just finished a tv show a pilot that's um that's very youth-based that's like a, a magic realism with a kid and it's got puppets and <laughs> a lot of effects and stuff and a big sort of fantasy world and and a lot of that spoke to me when i was because i was sort of prepping that you know and thinking about that as that came out and it was just mm-hmm. like ah yes this is this is the kind of thing i want to be doing if i was going to do a kid's story so <laughs> And then before we get into the the actual individual recommendations or get into those specifics, one question that I always kind of like to ask when we're talking about a specific filmmaker is if there is any film from Bong Joon-ho that you would want to see him make, what would it be? And that could be just like an entirely original concept of like, I'd love to see him do this. Or if if it's even something like, hey, he started work on this thing but couldn't complete it. Or he's working on this thing that a studio interfered in. Like what would... What would the Bong Joon-ho film want to be that you would want to see? Um, I guess I'd love to see him do straight horror, you know? I, I don't mm. think that, you know, even like uh, Host is a monster movie, but it's also kind of like an adventure kind of a sci-fi, yeah. you know? Um, and um, I think everything else that he's done has been has been kind of a, a mix of genres, but it would be fun to see him really do like a intense horror film because he's very you know he's a very competent filmmaker he's very clever he's very playful and it would be interesting to see what that looks like because horror is a you know if you do it well it's like it's a really hard high degree of difficulty to kind of pull that stuff off so i'd be interested to see what what he would come up with with that so now let's get into the 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 reason that we're all here uh Mm -hmm. the the individual recommendations for bong Mm joon and so we got three of them they can be in any order that you want most people just kind of go chronologically but yeah uh, the first recommendation that you got for me for Boon Jung Ho is is a Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder. Yep. Um, 
Memories of Murder. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's almost like his Zodiac in a way, you know, um, oh. you know, it's period. Have you seen have you seen it yet? No, I, 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 it? I no, I have. Not oh, seen great. It. So, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's, you know, it's period. I think it starts in the 80s and goes into the 90s, I think, you know, okay. um, and it's a, based on a real life story of a small town um, and a serial killer that's um, picking off young women in the small town. And it's it kind of focuses on the um, the local detectives trying to solve it um, and really aren't prepared for it. And um uh, are in over their heads but don't know it which provides some sort of some humor that's where the sort of the humor comes from and and then a um detective who comes in from the big city um who's there to sort of figure it out for them and and obviously they clash that's sort of how the setup is that um the clash between all them but it's really it's a um i think it's incredibly charming it's it's at times very scary and very tense in, in the way that like a Zodiac can be. Um, but then it also has these very sort of human moments of like the disconnection between sort of small town and big city, but in a way that feels fresh and, and moving. Um, and um, yeah, it's just great. And it has, again, it's one of the ones that has like weird, like slapstick moments that come out of nowhere that sort of feels so unexpected, but um, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and, and it holds up. And now, as as someone who is uh, who has directed numerous films, and you have to be in control of the actors and the camera movements and just the the tone from beginning to end, can you? I, I'm curious as to if you can offer a little bit of insight into not even what the dangers are, but kind of the balancing act of having that. Like, because you have if you have a movie which is you know like this categorizes action, crime, drama, slapstick mm-hmm. moments can like okay, this could mm-hmm. if this is done badly, this can really derail a scene mm-hmm. or a sequence or a film. So like what, can you talk a little bit about that, that balancing act and like, what would, mm-hmm. ha, what would a, a director have to kind of keep in mind to kind of be like, this is, I'm going to shift gears here, but it's still mm-hmm. going to work. Yeah. It's hard. It's really, 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 really hard. Um, um, you know, I look at it a little bit like Thai cooking, you know, where it's got to have like the, the spicy and the sweet, you know, <laughs> sort of like you have to have the two to really sort of bring the best out of each other. Okay. Um, but it's hard cause you know, you wind up, um, I think it's a total feel thing. A lot of it obviously happens from the script, you know, but yep. then, um, really kind of comes down to like, you know, if you're nudging the actors to, you know, which way to go and something, you know, if they're playing it if they're playing it straight or if they're sort of able to recognize some of the absurdity in it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I, I think it can be really tricky. And sometimes, you know, as a filmmaker, sometimes you wind up going like, Hey, I, you know, I always had this instinct that this is actually kind of a funny beat, even though it feels like a weird place to have a funny beat. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of feel that instinct. Sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll play it to say like, why don't we do a version that's like that and sort of see how (laughs) that feels, but we'll also do a version that's sort of, safe just in case you get to the edit room and you go like man you were really you know you were out of the room there um <laughs> you can sort of you can you can gauge there so i think that's a big part of it music plays a huge part mm-hmm. in it because music really can color anything you want um um later um <laughs> and um that's something you can sort of always be deciding on, you know, shooting is really just like harvesting the raw material, you know, and then it's the edit where you really start to stack that together. So (laughs) a lot of the tone gets, gets solved. 
um, <laughs> there as well. But it, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you try it. And, you know, Cold in July was a little bit my first sort of dabble in that. And part of that was from the book. And, and um, but it really became fun. And in that case, you know, we had three amazing actors who I think really understood sort of how to walk the line. Mm-hmm. Um, tonally and, and be able to sort of play the dark humor in something. Um, so that was, you, you learn a lot from them too. Cool. All right. Well, so Memories of a Murder, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And it, mm-hmm. it seems like the um, the actor Kang Ho Sang, who plays Detective Park Dooman, is also, a, mm-hmm. it seems like he was a recurring guy. He's also in The Host, yeah. Um, yeah. which is uh, cool. Uh, always yeah. have a little arsenal of jerks. So, okay, so we got that yeah. one. And also, according to IMDb, it's a uh, number 192 on the top uh, 250 top rated movies of all time. So really, yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but this, of course, changes by the day. So uh, tomorrow it yeah. may not be on there at all. But yeah, um, <laughs> also is available to watch on Amazon Prime. But of course, listeners are already familiar with this. That uh, when I talk about the individual episode or individual films, I'll get into more detail as to the availability of each individual title. So we're starting with. Um, Memories of a Murder, and what are we moving on to for the second recommendation here? Uh, and then moving on to the host. Um, oh, okay. all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I completely forgot when I, when I, when I uh, was 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 uh, coming up with three before. Um, yeah, so I saw that first um, again with Linda um, mm-hmm. at um, the Stockholm Film Festival. Um, okay. We were premiering Mulberry Street there, and I was so excited because I was like, "Oh my god, the guy that made Memories of Murder, he's a new movie." <laughs> and it's about a river monster and oh my god that sounds perfect like let's go so i remember like we changed plans we did everything we you know we were like trying to get out of you know a dinner or something so that we could go see the movie i actually had my family with there. my parents were there and uh, nick Demichi, a bunch of people that worked on mulberry street were there and i remember going all right we're gonna go see this movie we're gonna go see the movie <laughs> and we scored like eight tickets to it and we marched over found our way through the streets and boom Someone into this festival and settled in the screening and we like run in. There's a bunch of seats. We run in and take them. We sit down. We're so excited. Like the, the lights dim and the movie starts and it's in Korean with Swedish subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> no American subtitles. And we kind of were like sat there and it was like kind of slowly dawning on you like, oh, this is not, there's not going to be another set of subtitles. Oh, okay. Well, uh oh. And it's actually a little confusing to the beginning. There actually is some English language mm-hmm. scenes. So it's, it's kind of extra confusing. And then, but the crazy thing was we stuck around and we were like, well, actually I kind of want to just watch it anyway. And we stuck around and we watched the entire movie with Swedish subtitles and all of us came out and we like loved the movie and, and, loved it having never really understood a line of dialogue which i thought was just such a testament to the to the film and to the filmmaking that like you really didn't even need that like visually that story was told which is kind of like the essence of cinema you know um and you definitely got the sense like I, i then of course watched it when it came out properly and you realize that there's little subtleties and stuff and little connections that you weren't able to make but i thought it was just such an interesting experience to to see that that way. So, I mean, again, same thing there. I think, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's his twist on a, on a monster movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, I think, you know, relates to like pollution and, you know, environmentalism and and all that that gets connected, but also speaks to a thing that I think he does really well. And I think is a bit of the Spielberg sort of dust. And I think something that I recognized in, our work especially stuff that i do with nick is that there's a big like family mm-hmm. theme running through it you know which is really 
really great, you know, that it winds up sort of dealing with, um, you know, this dysfunctional family and how it sort of has to come together to, you know, rescue the rescue the little girl who's been taken by this monster, um, which is always a really good, I think, personal way into these, you know, big sort of event films in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and again, has these like really playful moments that are then followed up by something that's incredibly tense. Um, and, um, you know, at times, you know, I think he gets into, you know, um, even sort of classic sort of comedy filmmaking with some of the lens choices and using wide lenses and holding for a long time and things that make it feel awkward and things that you just don't see in things like a monster movie or a, or a horror film. Mm -hmm. It'll be good to revisit this. Cause like I said, I, I saw it shortly after it came out and it was yeah. unimpressed, but that was also mm -hmm. good God, 13 years ago. So. I know. I, and, and to be honest, I haven't seen it probably since it came out right after that. So I, I, I can't speak to how well it holds up. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't. I, I you know I've been doing this podcast now for over three years, and uh, yeah. they, they can't all be winners. <laughs> yeah, it was also I remember the beginning of like when you were seeing monsters more and more. Like I think Super Eight was not long after that, and I remember thinking like, oh, Super Eight kind of has a very similar monster, and Cloverfield was probably like a year or two after that. So I remember it was also sort of like really refreshing mm. to see like you didn't see outside of just like massive movies that just had all the budget in the world, you didn't really see monsters done in a, in a sort of a, a middle tier way in that way. So it, yeah. I, I, that may also not hold up too. That might've been something <laughs> very much of its time. Well, and also, cause especially, you know, this, this was rather successful when it was really was released here, but especially mm -hmm. in that time, horror films kind of started shifting or had already shifted into the, very much a focus on humans being the the villains. I mean, the Saw franchise was getting big. Hostel yes. came out in like yeah. 2005, and it was really kind of like uh, it was the people who were scaring everybody. So to kind of have this film is like, no, 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 let's let's get yes. back to a uh, monster scaring it's, people. It's true. It was kind of the beginning of like when independent horror was kicking off, and it was only so many things you could afford to be scary. <laughs> it was really yeah. refreshing to see this like, oh, it's like this foreign film, you know, that has this foreign influence, but then also has this thing that we're just not really ever seeing and it was done really well i remember at the time so mm -hmm. yeah yeah and me meanwhile our, our friends in france were trying to remind us very brutally that no humans are still uh pretty terrifying. yeah yes <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um get, getting back to to you as a filmmaker i'm gonna keep doing this i'm gonna keep bringing it uh -huh. back to you i hope you're okay yeah. with that but, yeah, sure. um so so you talk about being at, at this festival where uh mulberry street and the host were both playing mm -hmm. it, was there any element where you're sort of like i'm so pumped my movie is going to be showing here in this festival for, you know, the first time in this country. But then it's also like, yeah. oh, fuck, Bong Joon-ho has a movie, too. No one's going to care about my movie. Not at that one. That, so that was that was the world premiere of Mulberry Street. That was the first film festival I ever played. I, I played oh, okay. a couple small festivals, like, around the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. with my student film, with, like, a short film. So you're, mm -hmm. But you're always in the short film program, so it's a different mm -hmm. kind of beast than going somewhere and being like, you're the... So at that point, I was just incredibly excited to be at a festival that that was showing with those kinds of things you know like that just blew my mind that we were mm -hmm. able to be at a festival you know with um with a film like that i forget what else was there that year but um that was the first time it was just like oh my god oh, like we're in the same 
camp with these people, you feel like an imposter, you know, but <laughs> you're like, I, I hope this, I hope this goes, I hope this goes well. So no, you don't really feel that. Uh, I mean, I'm about to go to fantastic fest this weekend to oh, the show in, in the shadow of the moon. And, and, you know, I know Jojo rabbit is opening there as yeah. well. And a couple other bigger things. And you're definitely looking at the schedule being like, Oh, please don't be in the same time slot as me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But, um, no, I, you know, um, um, no, I, I don't wind up being sort of nervous about it more just sort of like affirming in a way of like, yes, this is amazing. They sort of get to play at the same, the same place that this film is playing and considered in the same company is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you got a healthier mindset than I would have had going into a situation <laughs> such as that. So, so God bless you for it. But okay, um, and now I, I know you're, you're we're a little bit short on time, so we'll we'll go with uh-huh. the the last recommendation that you got for me is is Okja. Okja. All right. Yes. Um, which again, same you know, uh, same thing there. You know, we had seen um, we had seen Snowpiercer, and I remember everyone just like raving about Snowpiercer, and I remember just mm-hmm. kind of being like, yeah. It's good but memories of murder is amazing and you know you guys gotta see that and another one that we didn't talk about but it was also great is mother which is such a great small mm-hmm. sort of personal personal thing that has its own sense of surreality and again the family thing and i mm-hmm. mean and 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 again the the mix of the humor with the violence and you know um really cool dark um i, I want to say dark comedy but not even that but again that's another one so you know, coming off of Snowpiercer, I just remember, you know, everyone kind of loving it and then knowing that, you know, that he was doing now like sort of this, you know, this movie that was sort of impossible to define and something about, you know, a girl that's raising this giant pig and Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> is in it. And you're just kind of like, what? You know, and it's for Netflix. I just remember being like, what? I'm not quite sure that I'm going to be into this, but OK, I'll sort of get on the road with anything in the sky. And um, we went to an early screening of it. And I just remember just being like, oh, just beside myself. I was just so caught up in the charm of it and and um that lead girl is just so great um um so you have seen that or you've not seen i no i have not i remember i i remember it appearing on a few maybe like very little but a few best of lists in 2017 and then just kind of but then after that i mean we just kind of didn't talk about it anymore yeah so that was my favorite movie that year by far and and it's like it's, um, you know, it's the story of uh, this, uh, <laughs> there's, it's the, the near future. And in order to sort of, um, um, in order to stop the world from going hungry, this, this science laboratory run by Tilda Swinton mm-hmm. creates these uh, super pigs, um, these, um, these pigs that are like bigger and tougher, obviously provide a lot of meat and they sort of don't take up a lot of resources. And it's supposed to be this sort of perfect cure for, um, you know, factory farming and stuff. And they wind up distributing them around the world to different families to raise these little pigs up to be full grown pigs. And then they sort of use it as a contest and it's all meant to be a big PR ploy to sort of talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like the iPad or the iPod or something. And um, and so it follows this, and their their pigs are spread all around the world. But it winds up following this one little girl in in South Korea um, who lives in the woods with her grandfather, and um, and raises this pig and falls in love with it. And then um, Jake Gyllenhaal comes for it to bring it back because this pig wins. Mm-hmm. And the entire movie is sort of her adventure, like all the way to New York um, to get her <laughs> pig back. And it's 
so it's so beautiful <laughs> and it's like it's got so much charm to it she's charming as hell the love is so great it's like the same thing when you see in like king kong of just like the love of, of a girl an innocent girl and this beast and mm-hmm. um it just reminds you of i'm a big dog lover I, and it just reminds you the whole time of your of your dogs and your pets and your sort of the that very sort of primal love that you have for animals and um and you know at the same time again it gets dark and it has some big things to say you know about factory farming and even like meat and i don't think he's a vegetarian but it's definitely even gets into a little bit of that kind of stuff which is always Mm. tricky but and it's definitely the one that plays the most towards kids but um but it's just charming as hell and then wind up getting this whole animal rights front um um that's run uh, paul dano runs when he's fantastic (laughs) and it's just it's always a little bit unexpected always takes you on these really different rides but there's a beautiful scene with a john denver song in it that when it pops up you'll see but i just i just remember being like i just want to watch this movie forever when that pops up <laughs> well and hearing you talk about it now it, it definitely adds a, a little bit more color and background to i remember when coming out and people just kind of saying if you'll see okja you will never want to eat meat again yeah uh, it, it's funny too because you talk about um, you know Bong Joon Ho kind of has this name where if if he's got a film coming out, people are like, okay, I have a certain expectation for it. But also, uh, Tilda Swinton has gotten to that part where too, where it's, if it's sort of like, oh, Tilda Swinton's in this, yeah. this is gonna be a fucking weird movie. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And she goes for it too. She's got like braces and she's got like a weird speech thing. And yeah, <laughs> she goes for it. <laughs> <laughs> like I know, I know Jim's got to get out of here, so we'll we'll uh, we'll wrap it up in a little bit. But uh, we got so as a recap, if you've been listening, or if you haven't been listening, I don't know why you still be listening this far into the podcast. We got memories of murder. Mm-hmm. We have uh, the host, and we've got Okja. And now I guess um, you had talked about how uh, you didn't respond to Snowpiercer the way you thought you were. What what, what is it about I guess mm-hmm. Snowpiercer and what you had come to love from him that you're like, eh, this just wasn't what I was looking for. You know, I don't remember to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember because we uh, we saw it at that at that um, at that screening, and part of it was just like the the amount of hype too, because you're going there, and I think it, it wasn't the it wasn't the world premiere, but it was maybe like the international premiere of it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and again, it wasn't even like that I didn't love it, but I remember like oh, really liking it, but felt like it didn't it didn't quite maybe because it was kind of in some ways like the most commercial and the most sort of mm. straightforward in a way, you know, and definitely mm-hmm. played a little bit more by like sort of American rules that I was actually like, Oh, I kind of wanted a little bit of like the sort of that shaggy dog charm in a way. Um, <laughs> so maybe it was literally just that. You know? Well, it, it, uh, it apparently impressed enough people where they're, they're making a TV series. out of uh, it. Yes, know. I know exactly. So shows <laughs> <laughs> what I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and that's why you don't give Jim Mickle a hundred million dollars to make it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. So, um, but I, I guess, uh, uh, Jim, if people had uh, not heard of you before this podcast, which would be strange to me, but if that was the case, <laughs> and they're like, hey, this guy's an interesting guy, how can they follow your work? How can they see what you're doing online? What, how, can they, how can they stalk you, basically? <laughs> well, um, dive in. I think, you know, just start, uh, start uh, watching my work. Uh, in the Shadow of the Moon is definitely the, kind of the perfect place to start because that's mm-hmm. going to be... Um, that's going to be very widely available. Um, and hopefully there'll be people talking about that. And, and that I think is, um, the, the most, I've been proud of everything that I've done. That's definitely the biggest thing that I've done. The the most resources, the most tools, which is really 
exciting. Um, and um, I'm waiting to hear any day if uh, a pilot we shot for a show called Sweet Tooth. Um, mm-hmm. Waiting to find out um, if that will go forward. Things seem positive. Uh, that's an adaptation of Jeff Lemire's um, comic book by the same of the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that may be coming out next year. And that I think is in some ways my favorite thing that I've done. So I, I hope that people get to see it. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think it comes kind of comes down a little bit to what your sort of taste is, but I think um, um, cold in July is definitely a good one to seek out. I know that's a, that is a crowd pleaser. People really dig that and think that's probably the most, most commercial of them in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I don't know to answer your question. I mean, I use Twitter a little bit, but I, I, I'm, I feel dirty every time I look at social media, get involved. <laughs> I've been trying to use it a little bit more just to sort of keep people abreast of what's going on. So you can certainly follow me on Twitter and, and get stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I try to keep it to the important stuff, I guess. Um, so yeah. Got it. And uh, and listeners, let me uh, let me save you the, the time and effort to do the research. Mulberry Street, Stakeland, and We Are We Are are all available on a. If you have a Prime Video subscription, they're all free. So um, go at it. You you have now no excuse. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I got you. Don't worry. I'm helping you out here too. So. Yeah. They but, used to uh, all be on Netflix, and then randomly the other day, I like clicked to so i was looking for to pull a shot from it like i couldn't find any of them <laughs> <laughs> um and of course it is always easy to get in touch with me you can email me at uh, you do movies badly at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at nolan fixes teeth or be sure to check in at battleship or i do movies badly to catch up on back episodes i would encourage you all to go to battleship pretension though because that's where you can chime in on the comments field and uh perhaps hear from me uh the the uh elusive um uh, host of this podcast so um jim thank you so so much for uh for joining me this has been such a great time such a great conversation um thank you uh you know if uh, if if linda remembers me i guess tell her i said hello I, i'm, I'm I not will. sure that <laughs> she does <laughs> yes okay <laughs> wonderful she does yep i'd say we were getting on yep (laughs) (laughs) great so well jim thanks a lot for for joining me again and uh, and listeners be sure to tune in um next week where i'll be covering memories of murder and hopefully i will be just a little bit less ignorant This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.